Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Kenny Jang. Kenny's an entrepreneur, strategic advisor, and former pastor. He's the editor-in-chief of churchtechtoday.com, founder of AIforchurchleaders.com, and then founder of Big Click Syndicate, a strategic marketing advisory firm helping Christian leaders build marketing engines that work. Joining Ed in this week's conversation is Steele Billings. Steele's a technologist who currently leads Glue's AI in the Church initiative, which includes a $25 million fund that invests in faith-driven organizations, leading research and development around the responsible use of AI in ministry. Uh, Before we talk to Kenny, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, it would help us if you left us a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. All right. Well, as you heard already, Steel Billings is going to be partnering with me in this. And part of the reason is, is that if we're going to have a conversation by AI. We want to have people who actually know, thinking about engaging in the space around AI. And so Steel's actually leading Glue. Some of you know that I do some work with Glue. And Glue has an AI initiative uh, as well. If you go to glue.us slash AI, you'll be able to find it there. There's all kinds of stuff going on there. We'll be together, depending on when you listen to this. So we'll go into a hackathon. Uh, we've got, got all kinds of resources, the AI and the Church Hub, all there. Again, glue.us slash AI. But still, super glad you're here. And our, and our guest today, of course, is uh, Kenny Jang. And Kenny, I'm going to actually ask you to explain a bit of what you do, because a traditional bio probably doesn't line up, because really you're in this space a little differently. So let's start with Kenny, because I, I know about the AI. I'm, I'm, I've joined the AI for church leaders and pastors. I know you've done online summits. Tell me more about what you're doing, what your role is and what you're doing in AI. Yeah. I, um, one of the things that I love doing is trying to bring marketplace best practices to ministry. And so over the years, um, I've been exploring different technologies and different best practices and really teaching churches and ministries how to take advantage of that. So AI is this next thing that has come of age, right? Generative AI came on and exploded on the scene for the mass public in November when ChatGPT came out. And so it's just one of those things that we are starting to educate, build training resources, and really help ministries maximize it um, and use technology to, to scale personal relationships. At the end of the day, that's what the whole promise of AI is, I think is that AI is going to help ministries scale personal relationships with technology. Okay, so, and we wanna talk about some of how and what that looks like. So Steele, I wanna come to you and jump into the conversation a little bit, because I think for a lot of people, the idea of AI is, you know, was suddenly, you know, Cyberdyne comes alert and now we've got, you know, self-aware robots and and here we end up in Terminator. So. Um, but there's a whole, I mean, it's not, AI didn't start to exist when large language models were released to the general public. So tell us a little bit about that beforehand. Well, I mean, AI has been around for um, many, many years, right? I mean, the conversations around artificial intelligence, and I believe even the term artificial intelligence was coined in the 50s by a group of scientists and, and educators. And so, you know, fast forward to the early 2000s, and it's being used largely under the terms of things like machine learning and, you know, uh, uh, ultimately processing very large data sets. 
And so, you know, when when we are Glue, for example, has been using artificial intelligence and we've been doing machine learning um, research and development for several years and understanding how can we help it uh, advance conversations that lead to deeper connections between humans and between God. Uh, that's just something that we've been doing. So now it's we're getting into the generative AI side and it's really exploded with the launch of, of ChatGPT last November. And now it's hit mainstream. Yeah, now I want folks listen to stay with us because really we're going to talk about some ways that are very practical to use AI. And in subsequent episodes, we're going to talk about uh, kind of some challenges that come around with that. Uh, you, you already mentioned, Steele, large language models. Um, and again, that's a phrase that some people may have heard, but a little less common is that discussion. What are large language models and why do they matter? Well, large language models are, are really the brains of many of these AI tools that uh, maybe you're using right now, like ChatGPT or, or Google Bard. They they thrive off of a large language model, and a large language model is you know it's a it's a very complex system that looks at billions of parameters. The at least the largest ones do. The, the, and when I say parameter, it's often a word or some sort of of keyword. It's some sort of information that it's been given, um, like. Uh, books or videos that it transcribes or uh, downloads of the internet in ChatGPT's sense. OpenAI, for example, is uh, made up of 60% of it comes from a download of the internet as of September 2021. The other 40% is made up of it consuming millions and millions of books and text, uh, comes from downloads of uh, threads from things like Wikipedia, and so it builds this information and the difference between the internet as as we know it right uh, a collection of information and now artificial intelligence is that artificial intelligence trains itself it's constantly evolving it's constantly improving and it is taught to get smarter as it goes yeah so kenny the the basics of ai there's there's a few different types of ai can you explain what those different types of ai and you know why do they matter yeah i think for um a lot of the audience here, AI just is confusing and it's intimidating, right? There, it feels like you need like a white lab coat or a PhD to really understand what it is. Um, as you said before, we've had AI um, baked into our lives for years and years and years, whether you've already uh, been using GPS or Google autocomplete and searches or Netflix queue or an Amazon recommendation feed, right? Like that, all that stuff is AI behind the scenes. And what this latest version, which we're calling generative AI is, is basically taking all that brainiac AI, machine learning, and then adding on top of that, uh, a layer called natural language processing. So if you wanted to basically think of it from a Cliff Notes point of view, it's all this crazy, um, you know, high tech stuff, machine learning, and then adding this layer of natural language processing. And what that does, is completely unlocks access to this AI technology for the masses. Meaning now, instead of having to learn code or again, be a, be a nerd, you really could just use plain English language or any other language and talk to the machine as if you and I are in Starbucks and asking a question. And what it would do is it will translate that natural language that you give it and then goes off and does its brainiac thing with machine learning and all the other types of AI and then comes back, and here's the kicker, it translates it back into nat natural language processing. And that's what makes it accessible. 
And what's so interesting about this development, this innovation front that we're calling generative AI is it's not industry specific. It's not just for accountants. It's not just for law. It is something that anybody that's using text or language, which is pretty much every industry, every niche, every genre out there is now applicable in terms of trying to figure out how do we use this technology in our work, in our lives. And so this is why it has been all over the news and we're seeing it more and more that it's becoming pervasive everywhere we go. Yeah, and with, with a lot of the news comes a little bit of a, you know, escalation and alarm. We're going to talk about that. We do have so there are ethical considerations yeah. and concerns, but there are also there are also opportunities here. And I'll I'll give just an example. So just yesterday I was returning uh, recording just in the time we were recording these episodes. I was recording an interview with Francis Chan. And so I know that there must be 2021, there must be a vast amount of knowledge about Francis Chan out there. Um, I, I've got plenty of interviews or books that I've written that will be out there. So I typed in, I said, first, I told it to basically pretend you're Ed Stetzer, which is an important thing because it helps to frame how AI is going to explain some of these things. And then, then I said, you know, Ed Stetzer is going to interview Francis Chan for his new book, Until Unity. What questions should Ed Stetzer ask? So it's a very very specific series of queries. And then it gave me, um, and I used two of them, but it gave me 10 questions that really, let me, let me, let me give an example. Some of you know my last book was called, uh, uh, called talks about Christians in the Age of Outrage. So question four is, in a world marked by division and polarization, well, wait a second, that certainly comes from Ed Stetzer idea. Well, I'm sure others said Francis Chan have as well. How can the church be a witness for unity and reconciliation? And what role does humility play in promoting unity among believers? Well, if you've read the book, you know that's a key part of it. So it's basically tying these together. And that's one of 10, I would say eight of them were all good questions. So when we see something like that, we're like, okay, well, what does this mean for us as ministry opportunities? And, mm -hmm. and we can see use, use is a possibility, but what is, why is responsible use? Because I've also typed in, uh, just see what to do, uh, write me a sermon for Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. And I will tell you, it was a surprisingly good sermon for Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, but I wouldn't use or do that. So anyway, so why is responsible youth use so important? We'll start first with Kenny. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where we have to recognize where we are on this innovation front and we are at the very 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 tip and we are all early adopters um this ai technology hallucinates as we say it doesn't actually give back factual information all the time sometimes mm -hmm. it's off sometimes it's wrong um and it says it with confidence um there are all these things that don't work as if it's um like an apple experience right it's just still janky a lot of times just like you said the sermon that you asked it to write came back bah, it's not really something that you would take to the pulpit immediately no no right? actually I, I would say the sermon was good it was i wouldn't ethically take it to the pulpit immediately the sermon <laughs> okay. was good. it it did when i asked for some quotes it did quote jd greer as me which was interesting yes. i texted jd and said i'm you now and and uh, it was a quite a frightening moment with him but but yeah but but there are consistently things like quotes i would never take a quote from ai mm -hmm. as a quote that's accurate without additional information but keep going yeah I, so that's called a hallucination right like yeah, it's okay. basically if you look at what the technology is it is not a um concept engine it is really a large language model. And the way, if you want to nerd out just for a second there, the way, the way it comes up with the responses is not that it goes off and researches it, figures out the concept, and tries to explain it back to you. What, what is actually happening with these large language models, with generative AI, is 
it goes off with your query it it checks this database of millions of data points of language that has the script like Steele said it's like all of wikipedia and reddit threads and um the internet and and databases right it it takes all of that and then just does predictive analysis word by word so it takes one word and then tries to figure out what actually would be the next best word in the sentence that i should actually bring back takes the second word goes back to the database does its machine learning comes back with a third word then comes back to the database and go, it goes back and forth so it literally doesn't know the end of the sentence when it first starts the sentence and that's that's how hallucinations happen because for some reason jd's quotes um the attribution was near probably on the page somewhere um to where it should have been attributed to you but his name was on the page in many places right there's some proximity of the data so that's one of those things why we need to start to think through how we actually use the data that comes out of it and the the default posture typically is hey this looks good let's run with it and that's where this ethics and um the responsible use i think you know has to come into play we i i advocate that every single ministry every organization really needs to start to think of we need to have an ai policy whether you embrace ai whether you're skeptical of it whether you're fearful of it you need an ai policy because here's the number one takeaway right now no matter what you feel about ai as a leader your teams your organization there are people using it right now whether yeah. you know or not there are people on your teams in your organization using ai for their work right now and if you don't have a policy then how are you going to actually even even from the liability perspective ed right like executive pastors they're the ones who are probably going to freak out on this podcast right now think from a liability standpoint of what what's going to happen if people on your staff or your volunteers put sensitive data about people in your congregation into the machine and that the terms of service of many of these chatbots are, are able to legally take anything that you put into it incorporate it into the database and then who knows where that might surface years from now um, and so those are the types of things where just from a legal standpoint defensive standpoint you need an ai policy just to start to th wrestle with how we use it responsibly within our organization so kenny i mean you mentioned hallucinations as one of the things that we should watch out for or be aware yeah. of with ai i mean can we, let's get practical a little bit for for church leaders what are some of these dangers and what what can they lead to you talked about misquoting uh, but maybe this will help us get to that question of if I'm a church leader right now and I just heard you talk about a privacy policy or, or a policy around AI. Yeah. How, where do I start? What are the things I need to address in that policy? Yeah. So I think the first common one that I think everyone could, you know, grab and get a handle on is is attribution. Right. So it's one of those things where the, just Ed was saying, hey, I might take I wouldn't take that sermon. Um because many, many pastors will probably take AI-generated sermons as is and pass it off as their own. And attribution is one of those things. Transparency is the, the concept that your team has to struggle with that says, how transparent are we? Um, where, do we where does the attribution happen? Do you have to mention that you use AI in every single piece that you publish? Like, mm -hmm. I would say down the line, very soon, AI is going to be normalized in all of our work. 
casters currently use commentaries. They use Logos software. They use um, Google. Do you actually provide attribution that you used these specific commentaries or resources every time you preach? No, right? But we're not there yet right now as a culture. And so until we get to the point where it's normalized and everyone has a good understanding of what it actually is, attribution, transparency is just one of those things that I think is really important for leaders to really wrestle with. So yeah, if, I, if I'm hearing you right, you're saying be transparent about who who's creating the content? Yeah, I, and I think it's the question of how, right? Because it's not just binary. Oh, we're going to be transparent or we're not going to be transparent. It's how you talk about it, how you actually um, give attribution. When do you give attribution? Um, where where in the process is it okay to use it? Where is it not? It's good. And, you know, you, you said earlier not you know, use the phrase passed, passed it off as their own. I think that's yeah. really key. Um, now, again, I, I'm actually, uh, you know, I, I said I wouldn't have AI write a sermon for me. I, I do think there are places where people can use and have been doing for a long time, that bivocational pastor who has, you know, five hours a week to do all the ministry that's there. And that pastor preaches so-and-so sermon outlines uh, and, and tells people that, you know, I'm bivocational pastor, listen, so we're, work, we're working through Charles Stanley's sermon series on so-and-so, great. Uh, there might be some uses like that where there's, where there's uh, you know, you indicate what, what's going on. I, I think the, the challenge is, is that we, we don't want people basically uh, plagiarizing, in a sense, AI, the way they might plagiarize someone else's sermon. If you are a staff member of a church and your church is assuming and as brought you into this team to study God's word and to bring forward God's word, that needs to be your ethical approach. Now, I say here, though, that this can become an amazing research tool and research partner. And for example, I'm actually doing a, 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 ser a sermon at Mariners, a message at Mariners Church where I serve on, we're doing every January, we kind of do this series called On the Table, you know, tough issues. And my tough issue is, is basically the, the Christian faith, Christianity, and science. And so, so I actually, I'm just looking at my chat GPT history right here. And I said, uh, what Bible verses help us to understand the relationship between faith and science? And then boom, 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 boom. So I did, and, and they're, they're the verses I would have used. So, and, but then I, and then I complained. I said, what translation did you use? And it says, I apologize for not specifying the translation. I used NIV. So, and I, I, I forgave it. I think it's good to, to teach AI to be forgiving. Uh, <laughs> and so, but, but the point is, is you're using these things as researchers. And I think that's a distinction. I used it for research in Francis Chan questions. I used it for research in what are some lists of verses that are there, but we're just scratching the surface of the things that you can do as well. And one of the things that uh, seems to be super important is uh, that AI is not, and, and Steele, you talk a little bit about this. So talk about a little bit about AI should support, not replace relationships, because I'm just talking about sermon research. But there's a lot of other places and relationships could be pushed aside. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, there, there, so Kenny highlighted a, a really big issue with AI, and that is the hallucinations. There's there's several other uh, potential issues. And, uh, you know, we've I've heard folks talking about the, the idea that, you know, how do I trust where the information comes from? And so that goes back to the corporate alignment issues around artificial intelligence and the fact that the there are corporations building these large language models behind this technology. And you have to ask, you know, what are some of their alignment desires that they might be implementing into the technology, even though they're not? Uh, they, they say that they're not. And uh, so OpenAI and Google and Microsoft, you've got to question those things. That, that's the technological side of it. But what about just the human nature aspects of it, where we might start to use artificial intelligence as a crutch? 
And that crutch might lead us to a place where it starts to disintermediate relationship and actually uh, becomes the barrier in between us growing in relationship with God and with one another. Uh, that's a real risk. And so at, at Glue, you know, we have the, we've uh, have launched this entire initiative around artificial intelligence called AI in the church. And the core principle there, one is we believe it's a moral imperative for us to um, start to advance the ability for us to better understand artificial intelligence from a faith perspective, uh, start to put it to use, explore the possible uses. But the, the the line that we do not cross is that artificial intelligence is never about replacing relationship. It's only about further enabling relationship to happen. Yeah, and I, I think this is important because you know I think it was, I think Kenny, I heard you say somewhere. Uh, maybe it was someone else quoting you, or maybe it was someone else, not you. But, you know, the church was really wary of the World Wide Web for a decade. It took a decade, yeah. really, for the church to engage some of that. I, I had our first web page up in a church in the mid-90s, and we made the newspaper. We were the first church in the town with a website. Now it's unheard of. But the, the websites were around before that. So, um, you know, there are kind of two ways to think of this. Really, an uncritical embrace of technology can really not serve the church well. But being 10 years late to what probably is a significant new generation of technology, man, I just I want people of faith in that conversation. Why is that important? Yeah, I mean, right now, um, I think we're feeling that pressure, Ed, because um, I like to say that tech innovation right now is um, like dog years. When I used to be a partner in a dot-com uh, venture catalyst, like an incubator, we were dealing with startups and we used to always joke at the time that we are living dog years, that there's seven leaps of innovation within a calendar year. And it feels like if I'm away from the computer, even for an afternoon, I come back and there's some new news in AI uh, that has come up, come up and has leapfrogged what we had before. Um, so I think that's the pressure. And we feel also on top of that, um, FOLO, F-O-L-O is the new word of the day. It, it's fear of looming obsolescence, right? We fear that the machine is going to take our jobs and it's going to take our livelihood and it's going to take over Dude, all of us. have you not seen The Matrix? Do you not know how this ends? <laughs> right? And so this is one of those things where it's not a job ender, it's a job evolver. And AI well, but just... let's, let's be fair. It's going to be a job ender for some people. I mean, there are people whose what they used to do is not going to be done anymore. It's going to be done by, you know, by, by machine. So, yes. but I agree with you. I mean, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we can look back in 100 years ago and people who were making wagon wheels would be very upset that there was a new technology that used auto tires. And so the reality is, so how do we help serve people? And those bigger ethical implications we're going to address, particularly in the next episode. But, but so, so what then, if, if we're, if we're if it's good for us to lean in, which I we're we're actually having this conversation right here because I think it's good for us to lean in. I also would like to see the church not just contribute, but to actually help lead the conversation yes. around the responsible use of AI. So why don't you both weigh in on that, Kenny? You first, and then and then too, I want you to steal when you respond after Kenny. I want you to share a little bit about how Glue is trying to put some some guardrails and around that. I should say too, Kenny and I are both working with Glue in this thing as well. So we're all one happy collaborative trying to help the church. But so Kenny, you first. Um, what 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 what? How how can we be involved to contribute and even lead the conversation on responsible use? Yeah, I, I think the question I got the other day was, why is the church involved in AI? Or why why do you want the church to actually have a voice in this conversation? I think it's really at the end of the day, you got to look at AI is not this technology that competes with hum humanity. 
AI is a mirror, right? Basically, it's reflecting both the brilliance and the bias of the creators. And if we're not embracing what AI has to offer and just trying to play it safe, we're stalling the future. Um, and I and I think it's really easy if you are in a growth mindset and really understand, hey, the church has a space and a voice here for us to understand human flourishing at its core, that we are able to then move from intimidation to innovation pretty quickly. And I think, again, it's one of those things where the church has a worldview of what our purpose is and what what the direction that we can help bring culture, society, and people that don't know Jesus Christ into a place that is a much better uh, experience for them here as well as in eternity. I think this is just one of those things that we need to figure out. How do we use AI not to replace the human touch, but to amplify all of human potential? I think that's good. I, I, human flourishing is a really important part. Kenny, that's a fascinating aspect that you brought up. So at, at Glue, one of the things that we are putting in place is this idea uh, around these working groups that are spinning up. Uh, as we speak, both of you are involved in, in some aspect with those working groups, but they're working groups around artificial intelligence, around uh, legal and privacy, around technology, around theology, and how do we pull those working groups together underneath an umbrella that is being referred to as the Trust Council. And that trust council is meant to solve some of these bigger questions around the ethical and moral applications of artificial intelligence. And, you know, one of the, the outcomes of this trust council will be things like documentation, will be certifications, uh, but it's a, a set of standards that these technologies can adhere to. And we hope that that trust council doesn't just influence faith-driven technologists, but that it would influence technologists all around the world in all sectors of business and in life, uh, from Silicon Valley to Singapore to China to Russia, um, that, it, that it would influence those things. And so we believe it's a moral imperative that the church has to be present in those conversations. And there's, there's really two things that we're solving for. Um, and it is, one, how can we advance education and capabilities for the church leader to be able to use artificial intelligence in all the ways that that God has destined for it to be used and help the church leaders just really level up in their understanding. And then part two of that is to bring faith to the center of the conversation around artificial intelligence, because it's a really unique opportunity that the church has in this moment to enter the chat, if you will, uh, globally with, with these technologists and say, hey, you're asking questions about human existence. I mean, we haven't even talked about this fundamental idea of transhumanism, where scientists are trying to define intellect as the the uh, all the the ever existent being and humans are actually one day going to be extinct, but intelligence will continue on. And artificial intelligence has been a catalyst to that conversation. We get to enter the conversation and say, actually, uh, we have we, we believe that the Bible has something to say about this and uh, that we were created in the image of God and there is a source of intelligence. There is a source of wisdom. And it's a huge opportunity for the church to be in that conversation. Yeah, and of course, we did a, uh, a survey and the survey came came out of uh, glue and lots of partners. Kenny was one of the partners. Um, and it, it's what's called a snowball survey. For those of you, I mean, we don't have time to unpack all of how the methodology works. Basically, people share it with people who share it with people and people take it and, and eventually get hundreds and then thousands of people. And it frames out some of the ideas. And some of the data that came back, I thought was interesting. Uh, and, and we'll release the full report as well. But how frequently do you use AI in the work uh, you do for your church? The the largest answer in the in the 40s 
properties as never. Um, uh, rarely uh, goes there as well. So when you get never and rarely, that's the majority of people. There are there are people who do it. If you do daily and weekly together, there's there's about 20% who are doing it sometime, either daily or weekly. Uh, for me, I'm probably between those two things. So so, but it is interesting how quickly now you're up to you know you're you know one of four, one of five people. If, uh, this is mainly geared towards pastors and staff are engaging in AI regularly. That's an important and significant idea. Uh, also, too, you know, how much training would you need in order to effectively integrate AI? That's a big theme that comes up. Matter of fact, the largest answer there, uh, more than a third, uh, is quite a bit. I need a whole lot of training, uh, you know, in order to effectively, you know, go. And that kind of comes with different levels. So, and there's some there's some level of concern, and I think rightful concern. The uh, when you look at the to what extent are you concerned about the ethical or moral issues related to uh, to AI, we find that the highest answer, the plurality, it's it's in the it's it's under 30 percent, but around around 30 percent. They're extremely concerned. Uh, Twenty uh, about a quarter are quite concerned and then somewhat concerned and then slightly concerned. And there's like, you know, a handful of people who are not at all concerned. So here's the deal. Everybody's concerned about this. And I really want to get to in this episode some of the practical things you can learn, but also want to say to you, Kenny and Steele, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm along for the ride helping learning, but you guys are already way ahead in some of these conversations. How are we going to be able to? You already talked some about the Trust Council, but the Trust Council doesn't mean, you know, that we're going to be able to give everyone good direction. We want to help church and church leaders use AI ethically and well, and that's part of what we're committed to. But there's a whole lot of concerns out there. So how do you walk through those concerns and help people to see the positive use? Yeah, I think one of the things that we all have to do is start conversations. So it's not one of those things where the executive committee or the leader, the CEO of an organization goes off uh, and figures out what the solution is and comes back and decrees it for the organization. Um, you have to have conversations. now. Uh, Carrie Newhoff and I, um, we wrote a piece recently that he published on his site talking about like, what are the core ideas that you need to start to uh, popularize and talk about within your teams? And one of them was the ethical considerations, all those expectations, right? Um, and then um, it, it's like what you said before, like, what's the impact on my job, on my role? Is there a future? Um, how is it going to actually either um, diminish my value to the organization or increase it? And um, how do you strengthen specifically ministry workflows and the outcomes that we all want as objectives? And then there's even soft topics like how how does it um, affect your mental health? Like that that follow concept that we were talking about, the fear of looming obsolescence. That's a real thing, as you um, as you note in that the majority hasn't actively used this on a daily basis yet. So they they're just using preconceived notions that we all have learned about AI. Um, and sentient beings from science fiction, right? The Terminator. And that's what we know about AI. <laughs> and so I think those are the types of things that we need to start to have conversations internally with all of our teams, all our staff, our key volunteers, all the stakeholders to really start to surface what are their concerns? What are they seeing? And then really try to be practical about how do we address those and how do we educate? There's a really big education need right now across the board across all levels of the organization, across all segments of your community. Okay, so some quick questions kind of predicated with one as well. A lot of yeah. the things that we keep talking about ethical concerns and the ethical concerns that I've largely framed around issues of plagiarism, things of that sort, um, hallucinations. I'd also say too that, that we have to address, though not in our conversation today, 
I mean, the ethical concerns of AI and military use, autonomous autonomous yeah. weapons and and things of that sort. And and, I, and we're going to talk a little bit more of that in subsequent episodes. We're going to focus more as we kind of come to the conclusion here. But there, so there are huge ethical concerns all around. But the ethical concerns in church and ministry would be, do we participate in that if it has other ramifications? Well, we probably, if we're using Google, it's got all kinds of ramifications. So let's talk some about the ministry leaders using AI today. So Kenny, uh, kind of a little bit of a rapid fire, just take us through how can ministry leaders use AI today? What are some ways today they could start using it? Yeah, we. I think there's categorically a couple of large buckets that you can think about. So one is because it's a language model, communications, is a category of work that many leaders can immediately see benefits from, whether it's helping you to write email, social media, newsletters, um, all those types of content pieces that you're writing. Uh, the second bucket I would say is research, like you mentioned, um, brainstorming, summarizing content, going off and refining things for you, learning things. Um, the, the best metaphor that I can say to um, teams that I'm coaching right now is think of AI as a fresh young seminary student intern someone who hasn't worked on your staff maybe they just got there they're new for the summer internship program or something like that they're intelligent but they're not fully trustworthy and, and again just like that sermon example you wouldn't assign a seminary student intern to write your sermon and then without reviewing it go off and preach it on sunday you would always want yourself in the loop and you would give feedback, right? And you would have a conversation and redirect the intern to say, no, you use this type of commentary. Theologically, our church follows this direction. Why don't you go back and try it with these other sources? You would refine it. You would say, hey, uh, I didn't like what you did here. I liked what you did here. Go amplify and expand on this. Why don't you try to come up with new brainstorming topics based on research there? A seminary student intern um, relationship with this conversational chatbot is, is something that research is something that's going to be very fruitful for people. Um, on, a, on a strategic basis, analysis and organizing information, data manipulation, um, planning projects, reorganizing content, uh, pattern recognition, those are the types of things that I think has so much potential that hasn't been tapped yet. And you're going to see a lot more tools and resources and workflows coming out that pastors, executive pastors are going to want to learn. Recently, um, I was just working with a church leader where we said, why don't we look at the giving data of um, all your people and then look at patterns and try to identify pretty quickly uh, people that have been giving consistently and all of a sudden stopped giving, right? what happened there? So either one of your sermon really ticked them off, right? And they stopped giving or something else happened. It's a life event. Um, maybe there's a death in the family, joblessness. There's something happening that might be a ministry opportunity. So can you then go find out who are the touch points for that person? Are they on a volunteer team? Maybe the volunteer team leader can reach out or are they in a small group? Right. So those are the types of things that you could use analysis uh, and data recognition to figure out how do we translate into ministry outcomes to really up the game. Um, and then the last one is just improvement because it's trained on millions and millions of data points of language that's already been written out there on the Internet in databases, etc. It could take best practices of communications and improve whether it's logic of your content and arguments in your pieces, um, coming up with discussion questions based on it that actually trigger really thoughtful discussions. 
um, reframing things for different audiences because it understands how to talk to different audiences. Even though you might not be writing for, say, um, a youth audience uh, on a typical basis, well, it's trained on tons and tons of content that's aimed at that audience. It knows how to write better to that audience than you. How to reframe it for a skeptic or someone that has just um, had the believer's prayer and just started to go to church. There's all these things that you can help to improve content. So I think those are the big buckets, communications, research, uh, strategic analysis, and then improving your content are four, I think, good ways to think about, practically speaking, how we could use that at church. So th those are really good ways for church leaders to, to think through the application of it. Talk about a little bit of the why. Why are they using this? Is it, is it about saving time? You know, is there something deeper than just saving time here? Like, what are some of the the actual outcomes or or results that you're seeing? Maybe in even in your own Facebook community, where there's a, a lot of activity that that I see on a pretty regular basis. What are some of the outcomes or results that you've been hearing about? Yeah, I think. Well, I, I think there's many many reasons, right? Because it's, it's not just one persona of a pastor or a church leader. Um, there are definitely people that are looking for um, how do I make what I do uh, stronger, more impactful, more strategic, and how do I take advantage of what's been out there, right? It's almost like you have a mentor that's sitting over your shoulder helping you with what you're doing in your work. And so that's one category. There's obviously the other side of the spectrum, the people that are looking for shortcuts, that people are trying to figure out how do I get away with doing less and just, you know, still representing that I'm, I'm showing up to work every day. And then there's everyone in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. Where saving time, um, productivity is obviously something that everyone uh, tends to be interested in. How do I, how do I get more stuff done faster, quicker, better? Um, so there's, there's the middle also, but I think our responsibility as leaders in all of our communities is really to shepherd our people to say, Hey, we need to really embrace a growth-minded uh, posture and really look at this and how do we amplify what we have, our superpowers, what, what our secret sauce is in what we bring to the ministry, what God has gifted us in doing. How do we amplify that and have scale that impact so that we can actually help more people in what, what, we're, you know, what we're called to do as a church? Yeah, you know, for me, one of the reasons I quickly uh, started engaging was just the ability to uh, accomplish things that make my preaching better. And I'm not just in preaching, but for example, if I got a sermon, I got a message, I've written it out. One of the hardest things is I want to find illustrations that help these things to stick. And uh, back in the day, probably before before you guys were around, there was this thing called the Encyclopedia of 7,700 Illustrations. It was by a guy named Paul Leton. And um, you know, you kind of look up by topic and then eventually they move these things online. I had a, I had a, a quick verse product that was a Bible illustration program because, I mean, good illustrations can really make a sermon amazing. Um, now I basically can say, here's my message. What illustrations might you suggest that I could use? And there are great historical illustrations, all of which you have to check for veracity. Yes. Don't be that person who gets up and, and shares a hallucination from AI as your sermon illustration. But again, the, the, the test that I do, and this is a test I've always done. Matter of fact, it's a test I, I tell my students to do. My students will say to me, 
you know, uh, how, how much help can I use from, from somewhere else? And what I, what I explain to them is kind of the, the, in my case, the wife test. I say, if, if I could ask my wife, hey, honey, could you gather some books and some resources for me to then digest and to decide where they fit and how they work? And she does that. I don't think that, I think that's fine. Um, so it's, and she's sharing in the load. I want AI to share in the load for pastors. I love bivocational pastors having the ability to access resources where not to, I mean, can imagine you know, big church pastors have a research assistant who spends all his or her time looking for great illustrations, but so do you, but just keep in mind with all the, all the cautions and the caveats that we're using here today in discussing this as well. All right. We were getting near the close of our time, but what are some mistakes uh, I'll ask both of you, uh, Kenny and then Steele. What are some mistakes people use using tools like ChatGPT, uh, Bard, and others? Um, I, again, it's it's that inclination to see it as a shortcut. I think that's the number one thing. I think the other mistake. But, I, but that, let me ask you because I'm I'm sort of like advocating. I mean, it is making your research faster. Is that what you mean by a shortcut? Because I think that's probably a, I'm positive towards that. No, I'm talking about. Uh, I, I think it's it's pushing it to the extreme where you're just dialing it in, right? Like saying, okay. "Hey, uh, I don't need to spend 20 hours on my sermon this week." Where right? if I typically spend right. 12, 15, 20 hours, um, now I can dial it in in, in three hours. Yeah, right? amazing like, though. If you took the time, let Chat GPT help you do some of the research, and then took the time to hone it, to study God's word, to bathe in it, to pray. Okay, God, that's I got what yeah, you mean. And, Go and and the notion there, Ed, is. Um, Generative AI um, really doesn't bring down the cost of quality content, right? It's not like it's a, it's a, the, the wrong way to think about it is a push button vending machine. That's a single button you push, out comes this candy wrapped in this shiny foil, and you can just open it up and consume it as is. It actually takes time to work with AI. It's called a conversational chatbot for a reason. The best way to use it is to have a conversation, iterate with it as a conversation partner, as a research assistant, as a seminary student intern, so that you can actually build something that's stronger. So it the cost of quality content actually isn't being drastically reduced. What is being drastically reduced is the quality of the, the production of mediocre content, junk that's content, good. Good. right? The cost of junk content is basically going down to zero, but the cost of quality content is effectively staying the same. And so that's just one of those things that most people don't understand immediately. I think after you get through a learning curve, you're going to start to understand that. It's almost as if um, I'm reliving the cycle of social media. When social media first came out, all these church leaders just thought, hey, social media is free. We don't have to do ads anymore. In fact, we don't need to hire a professional. We just need some youth kid that I can pay with pizza for free. And then that will solve all our social media stuff and we'll get all the benefits. Right. Do you, right. That was, that has been a large mentality yeah. about digital. And so that's one of those things that I think it's the same cycle of um, thinking and posture that will evolve over time, but we're yeah. just not there that with, with everybody. Good. So still, I want you to give us a mistake, but I want to tell you just for fun, just while we're sitting here, I typed in, uh, suggest traditional hymns to sing on Pentecost Sunday. I got 10 hymns. So, I mean, these are here. I think one of the things you have to remember is, is that, that chat GPT is brilliant, but has the uh, maybe receiving capacity of a four-year-old. So if you can, if you can actually, communicate in such a way that you're asking the question specifically we're hard to misunderstand it goes really really well so i got in case i want to sing traditional hymns on pentecost sunday i've got 10 of them and i'd say eight of them are right on i wouldn't have thought of them it just generates ideas for me 
But still, back to mistakes. What mistakes would you say folks need to make? Or well, they don't think, need to make. I think even just your example just there is, you know, it, it inspires your thinking, right? Yep. Great it's, way to put it. You know, even your questions about the, your Francis Chan interview, you're, you're not taking those questions verbatim, right? Even though you said you used two of them, my guess is you didn't read them scriptively off of the page. It, these things should inspire uh, a church leader or a pastor when you're in the middle of creating content or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Maybe it's you're you're trying to drive strategy at the church, and so you're just asking questions uh, of ChatGPT. Treat ChatGPT or other AI tools like that that are these are called generative AI tools, pastors and church leaders, and, and so use it to inspire you. I, I saw an example where. Um, somebody posted a, a photo of someone who just copied and pasted a, a response from ChatGPT and uh, they claimed it as their own. They did not, uh, you know, they didn't use that that um, transparency that you talked about earlier. And, uh, and and they included in their copy and paste the canned message from ChatGPT. As an AI model, this is the extent of the research I can do for you. Yeah. They forgot to leave that part out. Uh, and so, you know, those are some common mistakes is that you use it verbatim as it gives you. Um, keep in mind, guys, in this in this idea of artificial intelligence in the age that we are currently in, the moment that we are currently in around artificial intelligence, most people believe that this is the infancy stage of artificial intelligence. And so you'd be copying and pasting a baby's response to one of your questions. Don't do that, pastors. Uh, really take it and use it as inspiration and maybe as a basis that leads to more exploration or, or more of your own personalization. Yeah. It's a good word. If you're watching via video, most of you listen on the podcast. We also have a video version on YouTube. If you're watching by video, you see I'm sort of in my office and and I've sat, I got books on my desk. There's, there's Ruth Haley Barton's book and this is a James Merritt book and, and this is an Alice Matagora book and they just happen to be here. And the way I like to think of it is, is that AI gives me the opportunity to have all these open at the same time, looking at yeah. options, but then I've got to process these things. If you're a pastor and a church leader, not everyone's a pastor and church leader listens, but if you're a pastor and church leader, People in your church are assuming and have, you're on the team to be the person who wrestles with things. And wrestles requires more than AI, but AI can bring the tool, be the tool that helps bring, like even I have these books here, it brings them closer to me, gives me easier accessibility to what's in them to, to then be more effective in ministry. So again, fascinating conversation. I want to encourage you to go to glue.us slash AI. We've got an upcoming hackathon, which sounds nefarious, but it's not. Uh, Kenny's a part of it. I'll be there, a part of it. And we're going to be doing, talking about some, and Steele, of course, will be there. He's facilitating it. Um, also too, we have all the AI and the church hub i've already mentioned some of kenny's resources which will also be all linked from the ai in the church hub which is at glue.us slash ai uh dip your toes in the water do it with discernment wisdom but ultimately good stewardship so that the name and fame of jesus will be more widely known you've been hearing from kenny jang you can learn more about his work at ai for Thanks again for listening to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcasts. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.